1: Good morning, New Life. Morning. Hey, my name's Preston. I'm the campus pastor at Lenton Hall. Uh, before I jump into the message, I just wanted to introduce myself and tell you a little bit about me. Um, so I'm going to throw up this picture. There's a picture of me, my wife, Meg, and our dog, Jaira. This is the oh moment. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, a little bit about me. I was born in the greatest country in the history of the world, Texas. Any Texans in here? Yes, come on, my people. Love the service. Um, see, I was born in Tyler, Texas, and faith, family, and football were some of my you know, biggest priorities. Unfortunately, football might have been the biggest priority, and so I got a scholarship, played football at Arkansas Tech University. I know you have all heard of us, the Arkansas Tech Wonder Boys. Why'd you guys laugh? That's our actual team name, the Arkansas Tech Wonderboy. I don't, I don't know what it is. Don't ask me. Um, but I played there for three years, played quarterback. Most people think I play kicker at this point. But played quarterback for three seasons. And my, my dream was to be a college football coach. So I knew I'm like a six-foot, unathletic dude. And I'm not going to the NFL. So I took a chance. And I got in at Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze when he was there and worked as a student assistant. And during my time there, you know, I'm throwing myself into coaching and thinking, man, I'm going to be an SEC coach. This is my dream. And it was during that time that God began to move me in a different direction. I'd never considered vocational ministry before. In fact, most of my ministers were kind of like old dudes that wore pleated khaki pants. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it was kind of weird. And like church wasn't cool. Like, we didn't go to a gym and and have awesome worship. And it it was just kind of like, eh, I don't really want to go to church So I never considered that, but God began to move me in that direction. So I couldn't afford to pay for school at Ole Miss if I wasn't going to be an SEC coach. So I transferred back to Arkansas Tech, finished out undergrad, and when I graduated, I got into ministry. So I started ministry by doing a college ministry apprenticeship. So I basically just watched a guy who was already a college minister learn from him. Uh, His name's Neil, he's one of my, my best friends and mentors in life. And so, I started off doing the apprenticeship, and then Neil got a job as the senior pastor of University Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Roll Tide. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a couple. Yeah, Roll Tide. And um, so, I worked, I moved with him, and for the past five years, I've been working as a college minister in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So, during my time in Tuscaloosa, uh, I went in with a group of guys to go get a popsicle, Yes, they have popsicle shops in Tuscaloosa. So I walk in with this group of guys and I see there's this girl working behind the register and I'm thinking, this is my kind of popsicle shop. Mainly because she loved the Lord. I could tell she loved Jesus and like she was in a quiet time and all that. So I, um, so I was like, man, I'm locked in. The guy in front of me, he, he kind of tried to start a conversation with her and he, he name dropped the church that he went to. It was the biggest in the state of Alabama. And he was like, hey, you ever heard of uh, this church? And this guy was, he was a little, he was a little off. And uh, she's, she's like, yeah? And he's like, yeah, I'm on the serve team. It was like a parking lot attendant. It was like getting cars in the spots. And so he like tried to hit on this girl working there, but I heard from her next, oh yeah, I'm, I was on the student leadership team at Calvary Church. And when I heard church and leadership team and I saw the way she Cut that wrapper on those popsicles. I said, Hey, I'm coming back for more. So I was a faithful customer just for the popsicles. And then, probably the third or fourth time, I got the courage. I asked this girl out. We went on a couple of dates. Uh, and about a year later, we uh, got engaged and then got married. We've been married for two years now, last week. So I was waiting. Yeah, y'all can clap. I was going to see. This is an experiment. You know how people say we've been married for 50 years and everyone, you automatic. I was like, how long? What's the threshold? Two years is like golf clap. It's like two years. Okay. Married in COVID. Okay. Okay. We'll get a little bit more. So that's my wife, Meg, and she works with prison fellowship, works remotely. And um, yeah, so we have a dog, Jira, that we got from our neighbors. The joke on that is Meg wanted a dog for so long, and I kept telling her, Dave Ramsey says not yet. <laughs> okay, so y'all got Financial Peace University going on. She, she just kept saying, hey, can we get a dog, can we get a dog? I was like, listen, we can get a dog, but Dave says not yet. And that's like quoting scripture. So, Eventually, our neighbors were like, hey, we got this rescue dog. She's a Heinz 57. She's got a little bit of everything in her. We're moving. We can't afford to keep her. Would you guys just watch her for like a day? <laughs> yeah, y'all laugh because y'all know that I was a sucker for taking that deal. And so within a couple hours, she's like, can we keep her? So we named the dog Jyra because we joked Jira means the Lord provides. And only the Lord himself could have provided that dog for Meg because I did not want to have it. But that's our family. We're the Condors. And um, the past year or so, God's been working in our life and leading us to new life to to partner with you and be a part of this family. Uh, I could give you a list of 12 reasons why. Made a note. I go back to it and remind myself when I'm in traffic. Okay, wait, no, we were called to this. Uh, When I look at our yard and see, oh, we don't have one, okay, hey, we're called to this. When I see the rent that we're paying for the shoebox apartment, okay, hey, we're called to this. Um, So we believe that God has called us here. Everything from the heart of this church, the mission and vision, to something as simple as I got a notification on my phone one day saying that my plane ticket to D.C. was ready. The only issue was I wasn't talking to anybody at this church yet about coming to D.C., I didn't have a plane ticket. This is weird stuff like that. Where there's, when there's 10 or 12 of those things, you start to pay attention. So God's brought us here. We're so excited to be here. And I'm excited to get to preach to you guys today. So I'm gonna pray, and then we'll get into the message. Let's pray. Father, we're here today for you. We love you, We fear you, Lord. We know your power and your greatness. We're in awe of your majesty. Lord, you created everything. You sustained everything. You are our everything, Lord. So more than a good service and good songs and a good sermon, would you, Holy Spirit, transform us this morning? Would you help us to leave this time more like Jesus? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Restoration. Restoration. The the word restore is a verb which means to take something and bring it back to its former condition. So it could be back to its former state, back to its former location, back to its former owner, whatever it is. Restoration. Have you ever noticed that in our culture, we love restoration? There's all kinds of shows. Some of you watch Netflix. There's Rust Valley Restorers. Others of you, HGTV, there's Restore, the History Channel, there's American Restoration. There's all kinds of shows about restoration. And I got to thinking about it. It's interesting to me that it's not just that we like one type of thing being restored. It's that we love all things being restored. So for example, some of you, you personally like to do it or maybe you like to watch people do it. Um, You like to see possessions restored. So, got a picture of this old car. When I see this old car, I think, man, I don't want to touch that. I want to buy a new car. I don't want to have anything to do with this old piece of junk. But some of y'all, y'all are like, man, let me work on this bad boy because you want it to look like this. Restored back to its original form. You love seeing cars restored. For others of you, you love houses. So, here's a picture of this old dilapidated house. You know, again, me, I'm like, I'm not interested. I don't have any handyman skills. But some of y'all, you, you literally will watch paint dry on these TV shows because you love seeing the house transform back to this. For others of you, it's, it's not just possessions being restored, it's the planet. So you see an old field, like on this one side, and being brought back to what it was, healthy and vibrant and luscious. For others of us, when we think about restoration, there's, there's some of us who, we want our nation to be restored, whether you're on the left or the right. Joe Biden has talked about restoring the soul of this nation. Donald Trump said, make America great again. Both of those visions are restoration visions. They're going back to a glory day, back restoring something that was beautiful and good and vibrant. Some of you, probably not many of you, but some of you, have grown up, or maybe have heard of the American Restoration Movement. There's some of us who love the idea of restoring the church. You want the church to be restored. So the idea behind the Restoration Movement is, let's not just come up with some new idea and go in some random direction that some dude says, hey, let's go do this. No, let's go back to the church in Acts. Let's go back to what we see in the pages of Scripture, and let's restore the church we read about. And then others of you, you love seeing families restored. Uh, My wife, Meg, like I said, she works with prison fellowship. And this week I was working on stuff. And we were both working at home. And I saw that she was doing something for a conference. I said, hey, what's y'all's conference about? She said, oh, it's the Restore Conference. (laughs) And I was like, really? Are you serious? I'm preaching on restoration. She said, yeah. She said, you know, the whole point is that we take people who are incarcerated and we restore the relationships with their kids or with their family. We want to see those relationships brought back to a healthy, good relationship. And I think it's interesting that as much as we love restoration, that there's probably something deeper going on. There's probably a reason within us that leads to all these expressions around us of restoration. You see, I think that the reason that we see all these shows and we see all these, this time and money and effort put into restoring things is because deep within us as human beings, we are hardwired, we are designed for restoration. We long for restoration. And what's interesting is the Bible is a book about restoration and it has a lot to say about it. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm 23 open up to Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, Take out a paper Bible, take out the Bible on your app, take out notes, something to to write down how you're going to live different in light of what God has to say. So before we get into the text, I just want to give you some context so you understand what we're about to read. So we're in this new teaching series, The Good Shepherd. Uh, The first week, Brett talked about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How the Lord is our leader. He provides and protects us and We need to listen to him. Last week, Brett talked about how he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters, right? So there's this idea that the Lord refreshes and replenishes us as our good shepherd. Well, today we're going to continue and and look at the next uh, lyric in this song. And again, this is a song. So if you have never been to church before, you've never cracked open a Bible, you're like, what is a psalm? What is psalms? Psalm is an English word taken from a Hebrew word that just means a song or um, something that's written that's accompanied by music. So somebody wrote lyrics and then they play music to it. That's a psalm. But even more specific than that, the psalms, when you read that, that section in the Bible, The Psalms were intended for Israel, the people of God, Israel's temple worship. So when you're reading Psalms, it's like the hymnal of the church. If you grew up with a hymnal, y'all know what that is. It's like the Sunday morning set list. It's like the Spotify playlist. It's songs that are meant to be sung in corporate worship together. And the guy who wrote this psalm, and also wrote many of the psalms, his name's David. And so David grew up, actually, as a young man. He was a shepherd. David was a shepherd that protected sheep from lions and bears. He fought a guy named Goliath, this huge giant of a guy. He was the greatest king in the history of God's people. And David was a man after God's own heart. So he's a shepherd. He was a worshiper, when we're reading this psalm, we're reading the words, these lyrics of a guy who loved God, and he was inviting the people of God to worship their good shepherd. So that's kind of the context. We're, gonna, uh, we're actually going to read the whole thing because we want this song to get stuck in your head. We want it to be like any other song. You wake up, you go to sleep, make that decision, get in the argument, whatever it is, and this song comes back to your head. All right, so what Let's read it all together. On the count of three, everybody be real loud for me. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Let's zoom in on the next lyric in the song. Verse three, David said, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. See, David was singing about the Lord who is his shepherd and he said, God is in the restoration business. Not just with cars, not with homes, but with souls. Something much greater and deeper. There's two words that are really important to understand what David meant then, what it means for us today. The first is, in English, the word restore. So in Hebrew, that word is shuv. It means to turn or to return back to a former condition. The second word, uh, which is the word for soul in English, is nefesh. And the soul, nefesh, just means the inner being, who I am at my core. The appetite of my soul, my thoughts, my will, my emotions— That's what David was saying. He was saying that the Lord is able to take his inner person that has been decayed, that has been uh, dilapidated, he's able to take that and bring it back to a place of joy and life and fullness. The picture when it comes to the Lord being his shepherd is the Lord is the kind of shepherd who takes sheep that are injured and he binds up their wounds. He takes sheep that are lost and brings them back to the flock. He takes sheep that are injured and heals them. That's the kind of shepherd that our God is. That's what David sang about when he said, The Lord, oh, He restores my soul. Our God is a God of restoration. So when David's singing these words, here's what he knew. He knew a couple of things. First of all, he knew from experience, not just head knowledge, but he had experienced that the Lord restores wandering sheep the lord restores wandering sheep i don't know if you know this or not david man after god's own heart king of israel the one who the messiah would come through his bloodline david wandered david This man of God, there was a time when he should have gone out to war, he should have been fighting with his troops, and instead he looks out across the city on the rooftop, sees a a woman bathing and says, hey, bring her to me, has an affair, commits adultery with another man's wife, and then to top it off, he tries to cover it up by having that guy murdered in battle, and he did it successfully. David committed adultery and murder. And David's soul, just think about when he's stuck in that sin. Think about the guilt and the shame that David was living with. David's soul deteriorated. But what about you? Are you wandering? Are you willfully living in sin? Maybe it's that you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe you love work and you just go to church. You bow at the idol of work. Maybe for some of you, you watch pornography and you think, ah, it's not really hurting anybody. Everybody does it. For those of you, maybe, maybe you, you hate people. There's certain people that they believe differently from you, they live differently from you, and so you hate them. Whatever it is, if that's where you're at, just like David, you're probably experiencing guilt and shame and you want to stay hidden. If we could see your soul this morning, it'd probably look like that old rusty car or that house that's fallen apart or that dead field. And if that's you, listen to David's conversation with God on the heels of a sin, Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. See, David, in the midst of his wandering, David turned to God. David turned to God and he told God, God, I've sinned. I agree with you. It's wrong. And I've not just done wrong things. I've wronged you. So Lord, forgive me and cleanse me and empower me to live differently. And I'm not saying that it came instantaneously in that moment, but here's what I know. That David experienced a removal of his guilt, a cleansing of his conscience, and a silencing of the accusations of the enemy. David was able to sing And say, oh, he restores my soul. And here's what God wants you to know today. That God can restore your soul. God can restore your soul. Now you might be thinking, okay, Preston, no, 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 no. Listen, you're a pastor, okay? You might not get this. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've messed up. You don't know how far I've gone away from God. But guys... Here's what I do know. If God can restore the soul of David, he can restore your soul. If he can take someone out of adultery and murder and restore them, he can do that for you. But you got to do what David did. Here's what you got to do. Here's what I got to do turn to God. Turn to God. So when I was in college, um, I made some bad choices, one of which was to grow a mullet, but we won't go there. Um, I made some bad choices. Um, One of the lowest sinful moments for me was I met a girl at church. And at the time, I was like, man, I feel like I really love this girl, and we're going to get married. And I'm not saying I had been sexually pure. Before, but, I mean, I went to a different level. I ended up sleeping with my girlfriend. I had always told myself, man, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait till I get married. I want my wife to know that I've been faithful to just her. And what really was painful about it in that sin is that I lived at our college ministry house. So I'd go to my girlfriend's place, and I'd come home, I'd lay in my bed in the college ministry house, and I'd look up at the ceiling, and I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't go to sleep, because I felt the gnawing guilt and shame that I was breaking the heart of God. And after months of this, one night, my mentor, my college minister, Neil. He, he spoke on marriage, and I just knew I have to change. I have to confess this. I have to turn to God and put this sin to death. And so I went to his house. I went he and Katie's house, his wife, and, and I just broke down uncontrollably. Just told him everything. And this is me, a guy who's going into ministry. And you know what I found? That over time, when I turned that sin over to the Lord, when I stopped living willfully in that sin, that the Lord restored my soul. I began to have a greater love for God. I began to live a more holy life. I began to desire his will more than even before because I knew what it was like to screw up and need the grace of God. One of the first times in my life, I needed God to save me. Not just my own righteousness. Not just because I grew up a church kid. If the Lord can restore a wandering person soul like me, if he can do it for David, he can do it for you. But you've got to turn to God. You've got to stop willfully sinning And tell him, I've sinned, I don't want to do it, empower me to live differently. And when you do, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen instantaneously, one prayer, but over time, you'll begin to experience joy, no guilt, no shame, no hiding. Will you do it just one time and you're done for the rest of your life? No. It's a lifelong practice of returning again and again to God. You've got a choice to make. If you're wandering today, you can either keep living the way that you want or you can have your soul restored. But you can't have both. David knew personally when he sang, he restores my soul. He knew what it was like to be delivered from sin. But he also knew that the Lord doesn't just restore wandering sheep, he restores cast sheep. The Lord restores cast sheep. So a cast sheep, we'll throw a picture up for you, is a sheep that has accidentally rolled over on its back and their legs are too short to be able to stand back up. So it can't get up on its own. So here's how this happens, okay? So sheep, and I only know this because I read a book on Psalm 23 by a shepherd, okay? So I don't know any of this stuff. But what the shepherd says is that the sheep will lay down and they'll try to find a hollow or a soft spot in the ground, get comfortable, and then they'll stretch out. And when they stretch out, their center of gravity will actually shift too far and they'll end up on their back. And they're thrashing about and they're bleeding, ah, you know, whatever. I, didn't, I told myself I wasn't going to do it. I shouldn't have done it. That was, that was bad. Um, but, you know, they, they're helpless, And here's the danger of a cast sheep. The sun, depending on how hot it is, is beating down on these sheep, their bellies up. It actually causes these gases to build up in their stomach, which cuts off blood flow to their legs. So if it's a really hot day outside, the sheep that is cast can die within a matter of hours. If it's a cooler environment, the sheep could live for maybe a couple of days. So David, as a shepherd, he experienced cast sheep. He knew what it was like to count the flock and say, wait, oh no, there's one that's missing. And think, is it too late? Has it died? Is it cast? And he knew what it was like to run to that sheep, to pick it up, to rub its legs, to help the blood start to flow again, and to set it on its feet. David knew what that was like as a shepherd, but he knew personally what it was like for his soul To be cast. See, David was cast at times. You might be thinking, David? The hero of the faith? The great king? The guy who slew tens of thousands of people in battle? He knew the highest of highs? Yes, he he also knew the lowest of lows. See, he knew what it was like to be flipped upside down by life. David got to some really low points. A lot of people think that he was depressed throughout his life. See, David not only, for starters, had a king that tracked him down and tried to have him murdered, he also lost his best friend that he loved. He loved dearly. His best friend was killed in war. He not only lost the child that was, you know, conceived with Bathsheba, He also had a son later in life that usurped him and stole the throne from him, Absalom. David knew, just like anybody in this room, he knows, he knew what it was like to experience being cast down. What about you? Is there anybody here today Maybe you're not wandering, maybe you're not stuck in sin willfully, but maybe you've been cast down. Maybe life has slipped you upside down on your back and you can't get up on your own. Maybe you've got that bad health diagnosis. Maybe your marriage is just crumbling. Maybe the economy is draining your retirement and you're just feeling down and deflated and defeated. the National, uh, National Mental Health Institute did a study pre-COVID and I guess you could say post-COVID. I don't know what he say, but um, what they found is this. Pre-COVID, 8%, less than 1 in 10 Americans, said that they have anxiety and depression. On the other side of 2020, roughly 50% of Americans say that they experience anxiety and depression, 5 in 10 We live in a time, in a nation full of people whose souls have been cast. Many of us are in this room. We know what that feels like. And if that's you this morning, if you're at that low point, if you're thinking, man, it just took everything within me just to get to church this morning, listen to David's conversation with God, Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Now listen to this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David, at all of these low points throughout his life, what did he do? He put his hope in God. Despite the circumstances, things hadn't changed. He wasn't feeling like doing it. But you know what he did? He didn't just listen to himself, he talked to himself. (laughs) He said, David, put your hope in God. And then he went future oriented. He said, you're not gonna be stuck here forever. It may feel like it, but you will get out of this and on the other side, you're gonna praise him. You're gonna worship him for what he did. David knew what it was like to get out of that deep, dark place and he was able to sing. Oh. He restores my soul. If you're cast today, here's what God wants you to know. He can restore your soul. It is possible for God to restore your soul. Now you might be thinking again, Preston, you don't know how down I've been. You don't know how blue I've been for how long? I've tried, I can't get out of it. And I'm telling you, if you'll do what David did in faith, the Lord can restore your soul. Here's what you got to do. Hope in God. Hope in God. When you don't feel like it, when the situation hadn't changed, tell yourself, hope in God. You're going to get out of it. You're going to praise him again. Should you see a therapist? Yes. Should you talk to your doctor? Yes. Should you change your exercise and diet? Yes. So don't hear me saying that all it takes is more faith and you're going to get out of that dark place you're in. I'm not saying that. Trust me. I know. A couple years ago, I'm not going to have time to to go into the whole story, but a couple years ago, I was so anxious that I had to go to Dallas for two weeks of brain treatment. Shock therapy on my brain. I know what it's like to be down and anxious and thinking, I'm never gonna get out of this. I'm never gonna be healthy. I'm never gonna be myself. Whatever it is you're thinking, and I'm telling you, if you'll put your hope in God, he can restore your soul. He can bring back joy. He can bring back life and vibrancy in your spirit. Not just in your brain, not just in your body. Yes, those things are extremely important, but he can do it in your soul. Now, it's it's one thing to sing this song. It's one thing to say, man, look at what David experienced. The Lord, he restores wandering sheep. He restores cast sheep. Look at David singing about it. No, this is an invitation from David for the people of God to sing into this but we've got to take the steps that David did. So I want to give you about a minute. I want to invite you right now, would you pull out your cell phone or pull out a journal or whatever it is that you can take some notes on? And the reason I want to do this, I do this every time I preach, is because I sat in church for too long and I've heard people preach for 35 minutes and then everybody walks out the door, we go to lunch, that's it. So, I want to give you the space to not only listen to the Word of God, but to listen to the Spirit of God and write down the step that you're going to take. What's your plan? What are you going to do this week? So, for example, go ahead and you, you can go ahead and start writing if you want, but just some ideas. It might be I need to share with my life group that I'm feeling so down. It might be that you need to confess to somebody today, man, I'm living in this sin and I just can't get out. It might be You need to go to counseling. It might be you need to start that fitness class. Whatever it is, we've got to take a step. We've got to turn to God and put our hope in God. So go ahead, take a minute, write these words I will, and then fill in that blank. What are you going to do this week to experience this restoration? Take a minute. Restoration. We long for it, and yet we can't cause it. We can't do it to ourselves. David couldn't do it. We can't do it. We need someone outside of us to restore what's deep within us. What's interesting is that the Lord told David that he would have a descendant who would be the Messiah, who would be God's anointed Savior of his people, And there were multiple prophecies that were spoken between the thousand or so years that David died and and the Messiah would come. And these prophecies said that there would be a child born in Bethlehem, that in Bethlehem God would raise up this ruler who would shepherd his people. And this child would be born to a virgin. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that child's name is Jesus. See, Jesus is the son of God and the son of David. He came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, loved God, loved people. And Jesus said this in one of his teachings. He told his disciples, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the same way that a shepherd protects sheep from bears and lions, lays his life down, Jesus went to a cross. Jesus was crucified on a cross to restore your soul. The deep longing that you have to be made new, it comes through Jesus. And what's cool, you might might not have thought about this before, but what's really cool to me is not just that Jesus restores your soul, but that when Jesus returns from heaven back to earth, he will bring about the restoration of all things. We will be raised from the dead to live again, have new bodies, live on a transformed earth with a transformed heaven you see, we actually will go back into God's good, original design. We'll live again in a restored world. All of this comes through Jesus. If you're a Christian this morning, if, you've, if you're following Jesus, even when you're in sin, even when you're down, ultimately, you will be fully restored one day the world as we know it will be restored. And if you're not a Christian today, I just want to invite you to take this one step. If you want your soul restored and you're thinking, man, I want that, I want it, how? Trust and follow Jesus. You've got to put your faith in Jesus and say, I can't save myself. I can't change myself. Jesus, will you save me? Will you make me new? There's no other way. We trust And we follow Jesus, our Lord and our King. And that journey begins with the step of baptism, of publicly expressing our faith in Jesus. If you've never been baptized today, I want to invite you, take the step. Today, you can be made new. Your soul can be restored. And you can experience the restoration of all things. See, you and I will be able to sing with David. Oh, He restores my soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus dying in our place, shedding his blood as a sacrifice to take away our sin, uniting us with himself, filling us with his spirit so that we can live a restored life. God, help us to leave this place trusting and following Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.